All right. Well, hey, Happy New Year, uh, Lakeboy family. Uh, man, it's good to be with you guys. This is my first time getting to join with you uh, in the new year. I just got back from uh, a trip to, to Israel with a great um, group from uh, Lake Point, and at some point, I hope all of you get to do that um, at, at some point in the future, and uh, I'm really, really excited um, to be with us today. Now, um, if you've got your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Matthew 17 is where we're going to be today, and uh, hey, while you're turning there, um, I do just want to say this. So, this is my first time getting to be with you in the new year. Um, there were some things that happened in 2022 that um, I, I've got a, a deep belief that what you celebrate, you cultivate, and whatever you fail to celebrate will eventually leave your life. And so I, what we don't want to do is treat what's holy as if it's common. We need to celebrate those things. So the last time I saw a lot of you guys, um, we had our Christmas services. It's one of our, our best times of the year to kind of like, I honestly just share the good news of Jesus with the most people possible. And so I did want to celebrate this. Um, we had 50,325 people attend a, a Lake Point Christmas service. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, and man, so much stuff happened last year. We had over 6,000 people on our serve teams. We planted our 57th church, <clears throat> which was amazing. Uh, we uh, passed out 242,000 Meals through our, our food pantries, 136 countries were represented um, at Lake Point Church Online. All that stuff's awesome. Um, but there's one number that's like, it, it's why we exist. And so uh, I really, I really want to celebrate this. Um, last year, we a new uh, record. Last year, there were 1,462 people baptized at Lake Point. That's right, man. Let's celebrate that. And pr- praise God, and, and we want to give him praise for that now. All right. Do y'all want to talk about my shirt? Okay, let's do it. Yes. Well, I heard a vehement yes, because what I know is like all the OCD people, they were like, I, I got to find a new church. You know, Matt Chandler buttons his shirt right. You know, I'm going, you know, whatever it is. So let me just do this. So here's what's happening right now. We are in a series that, I, that we're just calling First Things First. We're calling it First Things First, and I want to make something very visible to you. Because the point of the series is really this. Here's the anchor. When you put first things first, the first thing is put in the first slot in your life. Uh, everything else is just going to sort of naturally fall into order, okay? But, but I'm trying to make something r- really visible right here. When you put second things first, that's what's going on right here. When you put second or third things first, watch this. It does not matter how well-intentioned you are. It does not matter how hard you try. When you put second or third things first, chaos is inevitable and order is impossible. Okay, now, can I fix this? Joe, mind if I, I'm not gonna preach a whole sermon like this. That that would drive me more nuts than you, okay? Now, I wanna apply this to your life. Okay, here's what the Bible says. The book of Colossians says that Christ is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. That in the universe, his order, his priority, his power, his preeminence, that Christ is first, that he is sovereign over all, that he is worthy of all of our worship. And that, watch this, and that just because you don't put him first, that does not change his order in the universe. Just because he's not first in your life, he is still first in the universe. But, But watch this, when you align your life to reality, When you begin to put Christ first because he is first, here's what's going to happen. 
order, everything just begins to naturally fall into place. But when in areas of your life, you put second or third things first, your finances, relationships, others, when you put second or third things first and they become more important than him, watch this. Order is impossible and chaos is inevitable. And so what we want to do during this year, listen, we, we want to help. You know, that, that's our heart, to help, okay? And so each week of this series, we're looking at an area of your life and going, here's what it looks like to put the first thing first so that uh, order just comes into place. Now, here's what I want to do right now, all right? This week, I've got a, uh, this message is heavy in my spirit. Um, I want to talk about Christ being first in your battles, First in your battles, and here's what I need you to do, okay, to, to, to help this sermon have an anchor in your soul. I need you to think of the problem in your life that's a thing where you go like, man, I have tried everything and nothing will work. So what's that thing? Let, let me rephrase it for you, okay? Another way to say this. What is the thing that's at the intersection of desire and inability in your life? I desperately want this thing to happen, but I seem to be unable to make it happen. It is outside of my control. What is that thing in your life? Fix that problem in your mind. And I wanna read you a passage that I think maps on to the human experience in this spot, okay? So this is, uh, I'm gonna read it to you, uh, picking up from Matthew 17. This is what it says. It says, now, um, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. By the way, uh, when I said that a second ago, what's that big problem? What's the intersection of desire and inability? For a lot of you, it was a child or a grandchild. And it's somebody that's wandered away from the Lord, or they've gone a different way, and you raised them a different way. And what you're seeing is, man, the harder I try, the worse it gets. And, and you kind of have this same prayer. Lord, would you have mercy on my son or my daughter? And he said, this is what the dad says. He says, my, my son, he has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water, and I brought him to your disciples. This is, this is really interesting. But they couldn't heal him. Now, I'm going to show you in about, in about five or six minutes why that's really interesting. But he says, your disciples, they couldn't heal this boy. And then Jesus, honestly, he has a bit of an exasperating moment. His, his really is only one of the whole Gospels. He says, ah, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Side note, really interesting. Sin is never the thing that makes Jesus sort of like, ah, exasperated. It's only unbelief. Unbelief is the problem, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says, bring, bring the boy to me. I, I can do something about this problem. And Jesus rebuked the, actually, it's not in yellow, but I want you to say it out loud. Jesus rebuked the what? The the demon, it says demon. It was a supernatural problem, in other words. And it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Now, you would think the story stops there. It doesn't because the disciples come to Jesus in private and they go, Jesus, Jesus. Now, I'm gonna explain this in a second. They go, Jesus, we've been, we've been casting demons out of people like for weeks or months and we've had no problems. So they go, why couldn't we drive this one out? And then Jesus <laughs> says something that, has become an anchor in my spirit. He says, oh, because that kind can only come out by prayer, okay? Now, I, I really, this whole sermon is really on two phrases. Why could we not cast it out? And this kind can only come out by prayer. So think about this. The father, he brings this boy to Jesus. And I, this is the situation. The father has tried every natural solution to his problem that exists, 
So his boy's older. So the father, he's tried medicine. He's tried discipline. He's tried restraint. In one sense, we could even say because he brought, uh, he brought his boy to the apostles, you could even say he's tried religion. So he's tried all these things, discipline, medicine, restraint, religion. Nothing could solve the problem. And then he brings the boy to Jesus. He's like, hey, we couldn't deal with this problem. And I'm going to give it away and then explain it. Jesus goes, here's why you couldn't solve this problem. Because you're trying to solve a supernatural problem with a natural solution. And you can't solve supernatural problems with natural solutions. Supernatural problems require supernatural solutions. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying here, okay? Now, as soon as I say this, so Jesus goes, hey, the root issue here is underneath the medical issue, there's a spiritual issue. That's what Jesus does in this passage. Now, some people, you immediately have like a cringy fear. You're like, ah, you know, it's like, if you grew up a background like mine, you're like, ah, you're talking about demons. This is all just weird and it's all just weird. And, and you've got a fear and your fear is that sometimes people will over-spiritualize and over-emphasize the supernatural. And let me just acknowledge something, okay? Obviously, not everything is a demon. Like, that, that's a real thing. Some people are like, man, Josh, I, yeah, I already broke my New Year's resolution. I'm under attack, you know. No, no, you and Krispy Kreme did that all on your own. That was just you. That was all you, bro. You did that. But can I be really honest? Um, our generation's problem is not primarily a problem of over-spiritualizing things. We are a secular age. We've got a natural solution for everything. Our tendency is gonna be to sometimes, can I, can I be honest, under-spiritualize and fail to see supernatural issues where they actually are. And because of that, you may end up spending your whole life trying to apply natural solutions to problems that have supernatural origins. And if that happens, you're not gonna be able to drive those problems out. I'll give an example of this. There's, there's a pastor friend of mine in town who uh, is, is a charismatic church, deep belief in the reality of the supernatural, which is by the way, biblical. And uh, there's a guy at his church who was saved in the Jesus movement in the 1970s, okay? Now, remember, uh, just Jesus movement, a bunch of hippies get saved radically. Some of you don't even know what a hippie is. And, uh, you know, and there's this outpouring of the Spirit of God, and it was like a very overtly supernatural move of God. So, like, deep belief in the supernatural and the reality of, you know, uh, an enemy in the spiritual realm. And so this guy gets saved in the Jesus movement, uh, it, it experiences all this. He goes to a seminary that's a Bible-believing seminary, so they believed in casting out demons, the reality is supernatural. And then he went to a church that was a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Bible church that believed in the reality of you know, spiritual enemies and, and, and casting out demons, the reality of the supernatural. But then he goes to the mission field and he encounters some liberal missionaries that don't believe in any of that stuff. So he just asked, he says, so wait, you don't believe in demons? And they said, no. And he said, so, so you don't cast demons out of people? And they said, well, well, no. And listen to his pure-hearted response. He said, so you just leave them in there? You know? Now, can I, we laugh at that. Can I be honest? Guys, those really are the only two options. There is a reality of the supernatural. And sometimes there's a supernatural source behind what looks like a natural problem in your life. And you've got to wage the war in the spiritual before you, you fight it in the physical. If you don't believe me, I just want to show you this right in the Bible. This is Ephesians 6. And I'm going to do something to make a point here. 
Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What kind of power? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against mothers-in-law. Oh, you know, it's hard to amen, bro, not right now. Not right now, okay? (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, angry bosses? What, What about the evil San Francisco 49ers? who we will see victory over today in Jesus' name. No, that's, I'm just joking. You know, uh, what, you know, the government? No, none of those things. Watch this. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's going, now, now why, why would we need to do that? Well, watch this. He says, here's why. Because your struggle, even though it looks like you think your problems are natural, he goes, your struggle is actually not against flesh and blood. It's not a natural problem, but against the ruler's What kind of rulers? Against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Did you see that? What Paul's doing is he's going, hey, with the problems in your life, he's saying this. He's saying, there's a problem behind your problem. There's an enemy behind your enemy. See, you think the issue is just a natural problem? He's going, no, it's not. No, it's not. There's a reality of a spiritual war that we are situated inside and you gotta understand those dynamics. So here's what I'm driving at. Your problems are more spiritual than you think they are. Your problems are more. So can I just, let me give an example of this and then move on here. Um, So group therapy, it's two years later, three years later, so I'm allowed to do this. Uh, 2020 was not an awesome year to be a pastor. Okay, Uh, yeah, I I want you to think about, so 2020, you had all this going on. So you had COVID, that happened three weeks after I became the senior pastor of this church. You had pandemic restrictions, uh, you know, which by the way, everybody agreed on and there was complete unity in the church on all these things and it's great. Uh, You had racial tension in our nation. The economy was collapsing and the cherry on top was, it was an election year. So all this is going on in the same year, and I'm trying to pass this church. Uh, to, to just show you how, how radical, it, how difficult it was to pass this church that year. So our, the previous pastor of this church is Pastor Steve Stroop. If you know Steve, he's one of the wisest men I've ever met. We get breakfast monthly, and I'll just go, hey, here's, here's a problem I'm trying to solve. If you've ever met Steve, like he, he's an answer guy. Like you throw a problem at him, he's got a one sentence answer that's obviously the right answer. It's definitive, he knows exactly what to do. So I'm getting with, I get breakfast with him. I kind of lay all this in front of him, you know, COVID, pandemic restrictions, racial tension, economy, election year. I'm like, Steve, what do I do? And he goes, I don't know, I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> I've never seen anything. And, and that's, that's when I went, I'm screwed. I am absolutely screwed. So what happened was um, when we regathered as a church after lockdowns, about 70% of our church immediately came back to worship. And it, you know, it was a really powerful time in our church. But there was about 30% of our church that was just like, it was really, we couldn't seem to get the sheep back into the fold. And y'all be honest, we tried every natural solution to that problem imaginable. We, listen, we tried communication. You know, I could, I could click on all this stuff. Communication, we had a strategy. We started stacking stuff in the church calendar like dominoes to, man, we'll, we'll build momentum, try to get people to come back. You know, pastoral care, we personally called every member of the church twice. I, by the way, that's a lot of people. 
Well, I mean, we, we did everything, but it was like this 30% just wouldn't kind of get back. And in my spirit as a pastor, I'm like, man, I'm grieving. I'm like, man, the sheep are out there wandering, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and uh, eventually um, I'm exasperated. And Paul Lewis, who oversees our Lake Point and Espanol campus, he grabbed me and he humbly, he just said, Pastor Josh, I think this problem is a spiritual problem, not a natural problem, and that our only hope is to go to prayer. And so as a staff, we took that heart. We just started praying. Like, and y'all, in 20, it was 2021. Um, every time I would pray for you, uh, that year it, it still happens. That may happen right now. Uh, but I would pray for you, and I would just get weepy, <laughs> You know, and that it was like uh, it was contagious. Our whole staff, we started having prayer meetings early in the morning before work for you, just praying for a, a protection over our people, for God to stir the hearts of for Him to protect people from sickness and attack all this stuff. And we just started praying. Our, there, there's that verse where Paul says, um, "For I am in labor pains until Christ is formed in you." And we really felt that. Now we realized eventually that we needed to call the entire church together for prayer. So in January, uh, it was last year, we just like. No planning. It was like, we were just like spontaneously, hey, Facebook, this is literally how it started. Hey, we're gonna have a prayer and worship night for the entire church at one location. Here's the date and the time. Now, I don't know if you pause to think about this. When you're at like a, a 17,000 person church with seven locations, it's hard to do something spontaneously. But we had this deep burden that we needed to pray. And so we did it. Now, um, we planned for about uh, 10% of the church to be there, 15 to 1,700 people. Um, an hour before that prayer service, there was that many people here praying for the prayer meeting. And there was just like this electricity in the air of like a spiritual burden. Uh, that night, y'all, it was um, in this, this room where I'm in, it seats 4,500 people. That night, 6,500 people crammed themselves into this room. We, we heard stories of people just driving off the parking lot because they wanted to be, they couldn't get in. Another 6,500 people joined in online for a prayer meeting. I don't know how to describe it other than like something broke in the hearts of our people. At the beginning of that uh, prayer meeting, like our, uh, our Hispanic, our Lake Point Espanol, they were like all sitting over here. And y'all know that Hispanic people know how to pray. They can pray. And at the beginning of the prayer meeting, there was like this group of people over here that they just started like wailing and like literally crying out to God for their children and their grandchildren, for our, our culture and our nation, all this stuff. And it spread over the whole room. And uh, that night, I, I, like I said, I don't know how to describe what happened, but like something shifted in the spiritual we finish the night and there's a stunned silence. Nobody wants to leave. Over a year later, I still almost, this is not an exaggeration. I'd say about every other week in the lobby, I hear a new story of, I got freedom from an addiction that week. My grandson that I've been praying for for 12 years came back to the Lord the next month. My child that had been going the wrong way, they can, you know, I, almost every other week I hear these stories. And, and here's what happened. The very next week after that prayer meeting, attendance at Lake Point jumped by 2,000 people. And every week after that, it just floated up and up and up. And now we're around 20% larger than we were before COVID. Now, listen, guys, can, can I say something to you? Listen, I wanna apply this to you. 
your problems are way more spiritual than you think they are. And you cannot solve spiritual problems with natural solutions. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. You've got to wage the war in the spiritual before you see anything happen in the physical. Now, let's get practical. Okay, let's get practical. So Jesus says, so let me go back to the passage. The disciples come up and they're like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast this one out? Okay, fast forward. So like previously as seen on in the book of Luke or whatever, okay? Uh, so just a chapter before, Jesus had delegated his, his power and authority to the apostles. And he literally told them, he's like, hey, y'all go out through all these villages. And this is what he said. He said, heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the kingdom. That's what he told them. And the Bible says they went out and everywhere they went, it worked. They had no problems. But then they come upon this boy and they, they, they can't cast it out. And they ask the question, why could we not drive it out? And Jesus, here's what Jesus says. He, says. he says, oh, here's why. Because you've been dealing with problems at a level. But now you're encountering a problem at another level. And you don't have the prayer covering, anointing, or power to get deliverance at this level. This kind can only come out by prayer. You see that? In other words, Jesus goes, we need to go to the nuclear option. We need to pray, okay? Now, let me just say two practical things right here. To win the war in the spiritual, write this down if you're gonna write stuff down, prayer must be persistent. Jesus in Luke 18, it says, he told them a parable that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Why? Faith, listen, Faith perseveres. If I believe that there's a finish line, I'll keep running. Do you know when I stop running? When I stop having belief that there's a finish line. Faith perseveres. There's a guy, um, there's a pastor, actually I won't quote by name because he's got some really jacked up theology, but he's genuinely like, uh, he, he, listen, uh, he, I think he loves Jesus and he sees remarkable supernatural answers to prayer. I saw him in an interview one time. Somebody asked him, why don't other people see answers to their prayer like you? Here was his response. Most people pray for one day on a two-day problem. Jesus told them a parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Your son or your grandson has been wandering from the Lord for 35 years. You ought always to pray and not to lose heart because there's a finish line. One of my favorite stories, let me say, say this and move on here. One of my favorite stories in church history is a guy named George Mueller. If you know anything about George Mueller, he was just a, a man of incredible prayer. He lived an incredibly sinful life for the first 30 years of his life, was saved at 30, died at 93. That's important. Keep that in your head. I'm coming back to it. Saved at 30, died at 93. So he was saved for 63 years. Um, he was saved through some miraculous answer to prayer. And what I've noticed is that a lot of time how you're born again actually kind of influences how you grow in the faith. So he became a person of incredible prayer. Um, he kept a journal of all of his daily prayers. And when he died, his biographer went through his journal and counted over 50,000 specific answers to prayer. Um, he had a, a calling to care for orphans and he didn't have any money. He didn't have any business background, didn't know what to do, so he just started praying. Um, people just started giving him funds and giving him buildings. Uh, I, I won't go into it, don't have time. Over the course of his life, he started more orphanages than anyone has ever started before or since. 
and cared for around 20,000 orphans during his lifetime. When he died, this is a great nickname. His nickname was the Defender of Bristol. That's where he lived. The Defender of Bristol's Orphans. Okay, now here's the story. When he was saved, he had five friends who were like drink and party dudes with him. And so when he was saved, he had these five names that he prayed for their salvation every day. The first one was saved after 18 months of praying. The second one was saved after he prayed for five years for this man's salvation. The third one was saved six years later, so he prayed for him for 11 years, okay? This fourth friend gave his life to Christ 52 years after he began praying for him. And remember, I told you, saved at 30, died at 93. He was saved for 63 years. The fifth friend, when uh, George Mueller was dying, was not saved. And he wrote in his journal that he hasn't been converted yet, but he will, period. As George Mueller was dying on his deathbed, he prayed for that friend. The person next to his deathbed heard him pray that man's name. That man came to George Mueller's funeral. The person at his deathbed recounted the story. That person came under conviction from the Lord, fell on his knees, and gave his life to Christ at George Mueller's funeral. You see that? Guys, hey, Lake Point Church, we ought always to pray and never to lose heart because our Lord loves to answer prayers. Okay, number two, last thing, to win the war in the spiritual prayer must be, and I've got a blank there for a reason, okay? I'm gonna show you a picture um, that I showed you a couple months ago, but I'm making a totally different point, and I don't have another picture that makes, uh, th- that makes the same point, okay? So here's a picture. This is a picture of my three kids. Take in this glory if you've never seen this before, okay? So that's Felicity on the left, Eliana in the middle, Hudson on the right. I'm gonna ask you a series of questions I need you to help me preach right now so you're gonna answer out loud. And by the way, you are not hurting my feelings. You need to know that, okay? So you look at Hudson. Just take in the glory of Hudson in this picture. Okay, do you think that Hudson, the baby of the family, wait, let me set this up. The Bible says that we have a child-father relationship with God and that prayer is crying out to him. Okay, now, here we go. Do you think that Hudson, the baby of the family, is the most knowledgeable of my three kids, yes or no? Correct, and you didn't hurt my feelings. Be a little more bold next time, okay? Okay, (laughs) now, this should be obvious. Do you think that Hudson is the most obedient of my three children? No, I don't have time to go into this. He locked his grandparents out of the house in December, okay? That's a whole different thing, whole different thing, okay? Do you think that Hudson is the most disciplined of my three children. Now, some of you are like, well, by discipline, do you mean he gets the most spankings? Because maybe, yes. No, no, no. That's, is, he the most, is he the one that follows through on his commitments most naturally, yes or no? Okay, now let me ask one last question. Do you think that, wait, go back so they can see it. Go up there, there you go, okay. Do you think that Hudson cries for me the most, yes or no? Yes. Can I make a point to you? A lot of people think that great prayers, people who pray, they pray a lot because they're very disciplined. Can I say something to you? Desperation, not discipline, is the key to prayer. We pray when we have this sense of a gap 
between our ability and our desire. And we kind of go like, God, you can do this, and I can't. And so we, we begin to pray. Think about in this story, okay? Think about in this story. The father in this story is desperate. In Mark 9, so a different gospel tells this story. This is really interesting. Jesus comes off the mountain, and it says that he hears this guy arguing with the apostles, He's arguing with the apostles of the Lord Jesus. I think here's what's happening. He's going like this. He's going, you said you could heal my boy, and I want my boy healed. Do something about this. I'm not leaving until my boy is okay. I want to talk to management. He's desperate. He's arguing. One of the other gospels, I think it's, I, I think it's Matthew, says that he grabs Jesus from behind. This dude like lays his hands on the Lord of the universe. Why? Because he was desperate and great prayer comes from a position of desperation. God, I need this and I cannot do it. Will you please hear from heaven, stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders on my behalf. Jesus was, quote, according to the book of Hebrews, heard for, quote, his loud cries and his tears. In Gethsemane, he prayed with such an intensity, he sweat blood. We think, of, we think of prayer as like, you know, it's very quiet. Everybody's going to pray silently. Okay, everybody pray one by one in a circle. And if you don't want to, squeeze the person next to you's hand. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. That's just very different than prayer in the Bible. The book of Acts describes their prayer meetings like this. They began to, quote, cry out. Can I, can I show you something I'd never seen in the Bible? I learned this this year, two months ago, I learned this. In the book of Acts, so the Holy Spirit falls, upper room, sound of mighty rushing wind, divided tongues of fire. That happened in the upper room. But when Peter preaches at Pentecost and there's 3,000 people there, that's on the southern steps of the temple, two different places. Now, what the Bible says is that 3,000 people gathered at, quote, this sound. Do you know what the sound was that they gathered around to see what, you know what the sound was? It wasn't the mighty rushing wind that happened in the upper room. The sound was the sound of the apostles praying on the southern steps. It was so loud and intense that people started gathering going, what are those guys praying for? In Romans 8, the Bible says that we have been given a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You see that on Thomas Kincaid paintings. You see that next to like quiet, still, serene picture. No, no, no. Romans 8 is talking about labor pains. It's talking about the primal scream of a newborn separated from the birth canal going, I'm going to die. I need something right now. This is the picture the Bible gives us of prayer. And until we learn to pray with an intensity and a passion, we will not see breakthrough. Okay, so I'll, let me just, let me land a plane. When I, I, I'm a third generation Baptist pastor. So when I started seeing like my first prayer meetings I ever saw, they were very chill, you know? You listen to the prayer meetings and it's like, man, you know, a lot of the prayers sounded like this. You know, Lord, um, you're sovereign and like we know you're sovereign. And so like, man, you know, we don't want our will. We just want your will. So like, whatever you want to do, God, is what, you know, we probably want you to do. And uh, so like, you know, this is kind of what we want, but you know, we don't want to say anything because you're sovereign. So Lord, do your will, please do your will. Here's my will, but do your will. Amen. And sometimes I think God hears that and he's like, I, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, like, like uh, what do I, theologically, I don't know if I can answer that prayer, you know? <laughs> Let me ask this question. Why do we not see answers to prayer like they saw because we have not prayed as they prayed? Um, so here's where I want to land it. Uh, I love church history. 
I love reading about great moves of God all throughout church history. One of my favorites uh, surrounds a, a man named Charles Finney. Now, a little quick asterisk again, Charles Finney also had some jacked up theology. Let me just kind of say that. So I got, you know, let me just quick caveat. But Charles Finney undoubtedly saw one of the most supernatural moves of God and waves of salvation in church history. Um, he'd been preaching in New York City, and in New York City, there were so many conversions to his preaching that pastors from the countryside, or churches from the countryside, sent their pastors into the city to care for the tens of thousands of new believers in New York City. When this happened, we're talking like 50,000 people saved like in, a, in just a few months. There was one congregation in Rochester, New York that like had the gumption to send him, Finney, a letter that said, you owe us some time in our pulpit because we sent our pastor to care for your converts. And so he did it. And so Charles Finney goes out to Rochester, New York. He preaches at Third Presbyterian Church, and he preaches 96 sermons over the course of six months. In a six-month period, over 100,000 people came to Christ, and the entire city was swept up into the kingdom. There was no racial, socioeconomic, there was no group that was left unaffected by the power through the preaching of Charles Finney. One church historian uh, said that it was the greatest outpouring in church history in a single region. Now, what's interesting is you read his sermons. I've read some of them. I'd read two of them in, in, in the seminary. You read his sermons and you're like, okay, it's good, but it's not that good. You know, as a preacher, I'm like, you know, I got a real banger from the detox series a few years ago. Like, stick, put me in, coach, you know? So let me just, like, what was the power? What was the thing that changed families' trajectories, that swept the city up in? Well, it was, he had intercessors everywhere he went. There was one man, his name was Daniel Nash. He, he was known as Father Nash to the people around him. He would go into an area a month before Charles Finney was gonna preach. He would rent a room, get on his face, and he would, Romans 8, groan with words inexpressible for a move of God to be birthed in the area. He would go, this is awesome. He would go around the city and ask people for a list of the worst, most notorious sinners in the city. And then he would get on his face and he would like, these were like violent prayers. He would pray things like, you know, Holy Spirit, hunt them down, haunt their dreams, give them no rest. I summon the hound of heaven against their godless hearts. Like violent prayers for these people. And when Father Nash died that same year, the power in Charles Finney's ministry died out with him. Um, you go to Father Nash's grave. I've got a friend that, uh, that first told me the story that did this. This is a picture of it. Father Nash's grave. You can't read it. Here's what it says. It says, labor with Finney, mighty in prayer. What a legacy. Mighty in prayer. Charles Finney said about this. I'm going to read a quote. Just track with me. Charles Finney said about this man, I've never known a person to sweat blood, but I have known a person pray until blood started from his nose. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, what if you're here on Wednesday night and the next person, the person next to you gets a nosebleed from praying? It's intense. I've known persons pray till they were all wet with perspiration in the coldest weather in winter. I've known persons pray for hours till their strength was all exhausted with the agony of their minds. 
Now, you may hear that. You may go, huh, that's really intense. Yeah, it is intense. But do you know what else is intense? Your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter have been wandering from the Lord for decades. And the harder you try, the worse it gets. And the Bible says that, quote, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's intense. Do you know what else is intense? The rise of godlessness and opposition to the gospel in our nation. The darkness that is descending right now. That's intense. Do you know what else is intense? You or people around you with suicidal thoughts. You should just end your life. It's done. And that's happening. Why? Because the enemy is real and he exists to steal, kill, and destroy. And there is a very real supernatural war being waged for the souls of every person within the hearing of my voice and every person you've ever met. And he wants them dead. He wants their faith dead. He wants them to spend an eternity apart from God. That's intense. You see, the intensity of our prayers need to match the intensity of the situation. And so Lake Point Church, as we gather this week on Wednesday and Thursday night, we are gathering to cry out to the Lord of hosts to stretch out his hand. And listen, Acts Acts 2 and 4, to perform signs and wonders to vindicate the name of your servant, Lord Jesus, because when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That's why we pray. So man, you want, listen, first in your battles, do you want to know what to do this year? This is not some game. We are not putting on a concert on Wednesday and Thursday night. We are gathering to wage war in the spiritual realm and win so that we can move out into 2023 with a power, an anointing. We can see a victory. We can see the heavens shake because we need that power. And so let me just say it. Like this week, is go and toss it up there. It's Wednesday and Thursday night, prayer and worship nights. Rockwall Campus, if you can make it, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. is your night. Get, listen, let me just say it. If you can do it, gather early and start praying for the seats in the prayer meeting. But it starts at 7 p.m. All of our other campuses, anybody that wants to come, Thursday night, 7 p.m. is your night. Let me just say this. Oh, I'm working on Wednesday. Then come Thursday. I'm working on Thursday. Come Wednesday. I want to come both nights. Come both nights. Come and pray. Listen, this may weird some of y'all out. This is literally a verse in the Bible. We, have, we will have all of our elders. The elders of this church will be here. They'll be standing literally right under that cross over there. They'll be here, James 5, to anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord and pray for healing. Because that's a verse in the Bible. And listen, here's what we believe. I do not believe the great physician has retired. I think he's alive and well. He wants to stretch out his hand. He wants to lift up Christ. And so, hey, Lake Point Church, let's gather. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to pray for the prayer meeting. I'm going to pray that God would pour out his spirit on your life, your family, our nation, our church, so that we could see that victory for the rest of the year. And so would you begin right now? Would you just do this? Would you just lift out, extend your hands right here like this, a posture of receiving? Lord, our hands are open and empty because we need you. We seek God because we need God. And so, Holy Spirit, pour yourself out in fresh measure. Lord, like your word says, that times of refreshing might come. Lord, we need power, supernatural, otherworldly power, because there's enemies behind the enemies. There's problems behind the problems. And we need you to do what only you can do. And so, Father, what's in these empty hands right now is lost children and grandchildren. 
It's estranged parents. It's broken marriages. It's a nation that is running from you. It's financial need. It's all, we lift these things up to you and we dedicate this week as a week of devoted prayer because we believe that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. We'll see you Wednesday and Thursday night, Lake Point family. Hey, would y'all do this? I've got a pretty important announcement that I need to make. So let me just say this. If you're new with us, I know there's a lot of you that are new. Uh, housekeeping, our Next Steps class is today. So if you're newer and you just want to know more about our church, Next Steps class, vision, we'll teach, show you vision, theological orientation, where we're headed in the next five years. We'll cover all that stuff with you at Next Steps. Or if you're interested in membership at Lake Point, Next Steps class is your spot. Just text the word NEXT to the number 20411 and we'll get you in, okay? All right, now here's the important announcement. Lake Point family, um, you know, a church, uh, a church actually doesn't choose its leaders and leaders don't choose themselves. God appoints the leaders of a church. That's what the Bible says. But churches receive them and commission them and recognize them. And so today I, I want to introduce you to two newer key leaders in our church. Would you please help me welcome to the stage, Tim Smith, Jason Brooks. Come on out here, gentlemen. You look good, yeah. Looking good, guys, okay. Now, uh, just for a long time, Lake Point folks, um, this, these guys are not like replacing your old favorite leaders and we fired a bunch of times on what's going on. This is an addition, there's no subtraction. So John Ward, all the, all the key leaders have been around for a long time. They're still here, but these men are stepping into significant executive pastor roles at Lake Point and I want you to know who your leaders are so that you can pray for them and encourage them. So this is my friend, Tim Smith, and by the way, the word friend is a real word. Tim and I have known each other for a little over seven years, and uh, Tim's invested in me and uh, been a friend to me even before I got to Lake Point. Um, for the last year, so Tim served for 18 years at a wonderful church as their uh, executive pastor. Last year, he came to be the president of the Strategic Launch Network, uh, Lake Point's church planting network, did such an amazing job that we went, hey, why don't you do both? And so Tim continues to lead uh, the Strategic Launch Network and is stepping into the role of executive pastor of ministries at Lake Point. Uh, this is his, well, you can applaud here in a second. Hang on, hang on, okay. This is Tim's beautiful family right here. We got Miss Lynette, his son Levi, his daughter Zoe. And, uh, and so, hey, Lake Point family, um, would you help me welcome our executive pastor of ministries, Tim Smith, that's right. Now, um, this, despite the fact that he's a Chiefs fan, this is my friend, Jason Brooks. Jason has, uh, Jason has been a member at Lake Point for about eight years, and Jason served in the marketplace before stepping into ministry. Uh, before coming to Lake Point for 25 years, Jason uh, was at, uh, uh, at served in corporate at Outback Steakhouse. Jason is actually the inventor of the Bloomin' Onion. That's not true. That's a joke. That's a joke, okay? Um, but Jason was. Jason was one of the vice presidents of Outback and saw, you know, hundreds of their locations. We are a multi-site church with a lot of locations. And so Jason has stepped on as our executive pastor of operations here at Lake Point Church. Come on, man. That's right. And uh, this is... Uh, Jason's beautiful family right here. You got Jason, his wife, Melissa over there on the right. Can't have too many redheads around. And then, uh, and then we got his son, Jackson, his daughter, JC. And so, um, hey, Lake Point, would you do this real quick? Um, would you just, uh, these men are here because of two words, character and aptitude. 
Would you just real quick, um, extend, a church's commission leaders, would you extend a hand? We're going to pray for them. Would you just extend a hand of commissioning on these men? I want to pray for them. Lord, I pray for fresh power and anointing on these men's lives. God, I pray that their ministries will be marked by faithfulness and fruitfulness and joy. <laughs> joy. Lord, I pray that this church would make this ministry a joy to lead because of their humility and encouragement of these men and their families. Let us be a church that lifts their arms when they are weak and that loves them when they are discouraged. So Lord, I pray that right now a bonding would take place between shepherds and church and that this church would embrace our responsibility to love, encourage, serve, and follow these men. We commit them to you in the name of Jesus gladly as their brothers and sisters, amen. Thank y'all, thank y'all, thank y'all. All right, so say hey to them when you get a chance and love on them. Hey, Lake Point Church, would you stand with me? We're getting ready to receive our giving during this last song, so you can give in the buckets as they come by, in the boxes next to the door on your way out, or you can text the word GIVE to 20411, but worship with us right now both as we give and as we sing. I'll see you Wednesday and Thursday.